trigger warning for those survivors of sexual assault, we do get into discussions around sexual violence and sexual harassment in this episode. And welcome, welcome, welcome back, everybody, to our fourth episode of No Mercy. I'm your co-host, BJ, and tonight we actually have a special guest co-host. Taylor was feeling a little bit under the weather, so I called on one of my dearest social media friends. We have never met in person. This is actually our first time even having a conversation uh, that was not on social media. Uh, So, Audrey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope your co-host feels better soon. Yeah, we're wishing her well. She'll be back next week uh, in order to fill the chair again. So just to give you guys some background on on Audrey and I. So Audrey and I met through a mutual, well, her friend, my cousin. And we have some mutual friends, actually. Uh, Jamil is one of them. And so we sort of connected on social media, on Facebook initially. And uh, I just want to tell you that your social media literally <laughs> has me in stitches. <laughs> I, I will be scrolling through and I will see something that you post. And most of the time it's your commentary of the post, but sometimes it is the post itself. And literally, I will laugh out loud. I have spit whatever was in my mouth out occasionally when I uh, read what you post. And so, and I've commented on your stuff and you've commented on my stuff. And so that's sort of the way that we connected. So it was such a great idea um, for you to come in and co-host. And a lot of your commentary, although it's not always political, some of the things that catch my interest are your uh, political commentary on social media. So I'm so happy to have you. So, so happy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I'm finally glad that being a fucking dork for 42 years has paid off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad too. So here's how we're going to get started. The first day of impeachment, uh, the impeachment trial was today. And so the Trump lawyers and the Republicans are sort of calling Trump's uh, seditious acts. They're arguing that this is a free speech issue. Even my congressman, Congressman Matt Gates, um, is also basically going on social media, going on news networks, claiming that this is a free speech issue and that the president should, the former president, should have the ability to say whatever he wants to say and without having any consequence, basically. And so what do you think about putting this in the terms of free speech and arguing that he should not be impeached because the First Amendment gives him the right to do what he did? I, I totally disagree. Um, I think that, sure, we all have free speech, but there are two really important things to me that stand out. And number one is that speech is free, but consequences are often costly, number mm. one. And number two, I, I feel like maybe we need a Supreme Court test or some sort of a constitutional measure on the links that we go to, to quantify free speech, because free speech can't incite violence. They can't incite, you can't incite crimes you know, and call it free speech because I live in Atlanta. Speaking of such, my condolences to you as for why you have that congressman still, but thank the Lord I, you know, was able to get rid of David (laughs) Perdue this year with the blue wave. Look at God, won't he do it? 
But Don't do it. <laughs> won't he will? <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. You can't call it free speech and you're encouraging crimes because if Day Day at the end of my street at the corner store, you know, were to say something that incited violence or incited, a, you know, someone else to commit a crime. He would go to jail and get the same, he would get the same charge as the person who actually committed the crime. When you are a conspirator in a crime, even if you're the driver or the trigger man or the lookout or whatever, if somebody dies, you still catch a murder charge when you're a regular person. And, you know, when it comes to crimes, the president is not above the law. He is, you know, above the law when it comes to national security matters like you know, if he has classified information, they've said that he can share it when he was talking to, you know, Russia about a lot of the things that we were doing with our national security at that time. But crimes are excluded from that freedom. Anything that you do in the commission of a felony is a felony. Right. I had done some research because, you know, people say that, yeah, you have free speech, but you can't yell fire in a, in a crowded movie theater. Yeah, and totally. And so I was reading about that, and actually, I read that you can, <laughs> like, you actually can yell fire in a crowded movie theater, and and use your First Amendment rights to get that, and you have First Amendment rights that give you the right to do that. So you can't be prosecuted for that. The government cannot prosecute you because you yelled fire. Now, if everybody runs out of the movie theater and two old ladies get trampled to death because everybody ran out of the movie theater, you can get charged, you know, for a misdemeanor or for uh, those women being killed as a result of something you did or something you said, but you're not being actually convicted or charged because of yelling fire. You're being charged because some people were trampled as a result of something that you did. What I'm thinking is this man is not being convicted for, he's not going to be going to jail. This isn't a criminal trial. So, and it should be, be, but it ain't. And so (laughs) there's no first amendment right to go before a bunch of people and make seditious or salacious statements and then not face political consequence. Because let's face it, this is basically a political consequence for what he did. This is, he's not being charged in a, crim- in, in, a, in a criminal law. This is really not even a civil trial. This is basically a political trial to say whether or not he has the right to run for office uh, in the future. He ain't going to go to jail. He's not going to have to pay any fines if he loses. Um, right. So, So there is no First Amendment right to not get political consequences for what you say. Like, there are people who face political consequences for some of the things that they say all the time. David Perdue, uh, Hmm. Kelly Loeffler, hopefully Matt (laughs) Gaetz. People get politically rewarded or suffer political consequences based on the things that they say all the time. Does that mean that they should go to jail? We can have that argument. Um, whether or not they should go to jail. But in my view, this really is not a First Amendment issue. Nobody is saying that he didn't have the right to say what he wants to say. Do I think the government, you know, should come down on him and put him in jail? I think so. 
that's what they would have done to to any of our brown brothers and sisters. It could have been a Lakota Native American. It could have been a black person. It could have been, you know, a Latino person who, you know, looked like an immigrant. They didn't look like, you know, Jennifer Lopez or whatever. Or, or just like you say, it could have been an Arab or it could have been a Muslim person. Literally anyone else. So what do you think is going to happen if you had to put your predictive hat on? What would you think? How do you think this is going to go? You think they're going to get enough senators to convict? I don't think they're going to convict. And unfortunately, I think that he will still have power over the people that he has power over now. Those supporters and some of these political panders that, you know, are at, at Mar-a-Lago on their knees right now, those people are going to be emboldened even further. And I think that they're going to double down in their beliefs, side note, no matter how ridiculous they are or how ridiculous we think they are. But I feel like they're going to double down in those beliefs and then double down in their behavior. And I think that is the worst part of it and why we are here to begin with. I just, <laughs> there are 70 million people out there who voted for him. And unfortunately, we needed, we need him to be found guilty so that he can't run for office again, so that we can protect ourselves from these 70 million motherfuckers. And you see how they are actually using social media. I don't know if you've noticed this, that they're trying to bring Maxine Waters into the fray about some things that she said uh, and trying to equalize some things that she had said to her supporters about, you know, if they're not representing you, get in their faces um, and let them know, let your voices be heard. What do you think about them creating this false equivalency between things that Maxine Waters has said to I her think, supporters and, I, and Donald Trump. I think that the false equivalency fallacy is the defense of white man's best friend. Mm. This, isn't, this isn't new behavior. This isn't a new script. It's literally a Word document on Robert on, on Rudy Giuliani's computer, and he just copy and paste <laughs> in the next name. Plus, I think that her, her, her survivors, I think that her supporters knew better not to take whatever she said. They took her and they knew better not to go to the Capitol because <laughs> she was speaking to a group of black people who knew exactly what she was saying, who knew what she meant, and who knew that if there was anyone in that audience who misunderstood, misinterpreted what she was saying to her supporters, they knew that they could not go and run up on that Capitol and do the things that they did and still live to tell about it. We don't have the privilege to do so at all. No marginalized society outside of, of the heartland of America, I said heartland with air quotes, has the ability to get away with something like that. They get the benefit of the doubt because they look unassuming and we have those, and we have those ideals of who they are and what they represent that, you know, make our judgment of them a little bit more tender and a little bit more benefit of the dowdy, if I can make up a word. And the rest of America doesn't have that. And I think that this is mostly because of white supremacy and racism. As an American, I would 
suffer as much PTSD from seeing those people's lives lost as I do every couple of days on the news when I see someone else that has been killed by the police. No one, no one should be killed by the police, even when they may have committed treason. I mean, I agree. I, I completely agree. And there are going to be people out there who don't agree uh, with us. And, and that's understandable. There are going to be people for the who police say... To have, to, for the police to have shot any of those people, as wrong as they were, you know, for coming in there at the point where they were still outside and stuff like that, if the police had killed anyone, it would cause just as much PTSD for this country as it would have been you know, if they killed a black guy on 75 South, because it's still it's still a tragedy of life loss. But what I think it demonstrates is that police officers have the ability to exhibit restraint, oh, even in the fun. most even in the most chaotic, stressful, dangerous situations. We still we still have clearly seen that highly trained officers have the ability to exhibit restraint from using lethal force uh, in in very contentious situations. And all communities of color are asking for is due process and exhibit the same types of restraint that, that is shown when police departments and police officers come in contact with white citizens who you know, who may be viewed as dangerous, who may be doing things that are illegal, who may be, I don't know, causing an insurrection, just exhibit that same restraint. I agree. So we're going to shift gears to a completely separate topic. (laughs) And I know you've been having all the feels about this. I've been hearing about it. I heard how I heard about this topic actually was I heard two straight guys talking about this with each other about in the context of how, you know, how women are, you know, they're all into things, into sexual things. And then later they come back and then they can like accuse you of assaulting them or accuse you of harassing them and how they didn't think it was fair that, you know, women can be all into it in the moment and then the next day have what in their perception or in their experience appears to be regret and then how they can completely tear down the reputation of a man. And so now men, you have to be, quote unquote, careful was the word that was used because now you have to be careful because you can't trust these women. So if you haven't heard, there's this actor named Army Hammer, which I really had not heard of him uh, very much until I started looking up some of the movies that he was in. And I was like, oh, okay, I've seen that movie. He was in Birth of a Nation. Um, He was in uh, Hotel Mumbai. I think he was in The Social... What was that? Uh, The Social Network. Do you remember? Did you see that movie? No. The Social Network. Um, It was kind of like this movie based off of how Facebook was founded. Justin Timberlake was in it, too, as well. So now I'm going to watch it. So Army Hammer has he's got some quirks about him. And recently, (laughs) one of his (laughs) one of his exes came out and said that, and, and I've, I've gone into a wormhole reading about this. I did not even know this existed. But Child, you and me both. So he, his, one of his ex-girlfriends said that 
he made some comments about wanting to like take one of her ribs out, barbecue it, and eat it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you are so tickled by this. So um, apparently, this is a thing. Not not that cannibalism is new to me, but this sort of uh, mixture of cannibalistic fantasy. And an intersection between cannibalistic fantasy and sex. And this just had me feeling all kinds of ways because, and I'll tell you why. Number one, this is not about really eating people. From what I have read, the people who like this sort of stuff really don't want to eat people. They just fantasize about the thought of eating people. <laughs> that... <laughs> That is his, that, that's what he's saying, is that this is just sort of, you know, like BDSM or, you know, any other people who are, you know, who are into feet or people who are into, you know, whatever they're into sexually. This is just another sexual niche. What I, I guess the, the, the conversation, we can, number one, get into whether or not that's weird or not. And my feelings are, I have, I'm very hesitant to call this weird because there are a lot of people out there who think that my uh, same-sex relationship and the things that we engage in as a same-sex couple are weird and deviant and nasty and ungodly. So I am very hesitant to call this weird or odd or wrong. I, th I agree I, with you. I kind of think that as long as two consenting adults are engaging in the practice of whatever it is, if if I heard that he likes to eat eat women's fingernails and like if they ever when she cut her <laughs> when she cut I heard she cut her finger one of his ex-girlfriends cut her finger with a knife and like he wanted to suck on it. And as long as they're both okay with that, what's good for you is good for me. Um, right, no, no kink shaming allowed. So I guess the issue is, is like now she's coming forward saying that um, a lot of these things she was not comfortable with, that it really did weird her out, that there were some things that she engaged in that did make her uncomfortable. And so when I was hearing this, uh, these uh, two men talking about this on and I was just eavesdropping. Um, it made me think I need to speak about this with another woman because should men really be concerned about what they're doing and, and with their intimate partners for fear of, of the woman coming back later and then completely ruining a reputation? And I will turn it over to the woman. <laughs> <laughs> this brought up a lot of, of emotions for me, like a huge range of emotions too. For starters, I read up on, you know, some of the things that he was into, like um, the fingernail thing and the, and the barbecued rib thing. And the fact that, you know, one of the ladies let him carve a heart into her, you know, into, you know, I guess for me, because I'm, you know, me, it's my fupa, but you stop. <laughs> But I don't know. They called it above her crotch area. I think they did. And, you know, I think that there is 
a really thin line between we have to believe women and this. And to me, this is not that. Nobody has accused him of assault. No one has accused him of anything that they didn't agree to. The girl, you know, with the A near her vagina area, she had to consent to that in a moment because I think that if he had a knife out and she had ran her ass out in the street somewhere in Hollywood, he would still be in jail. So she had to have consented. I mean, this guy, from what I've read, is that freak. So they had a safe word. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's unfortunate that people think that just because you've got relationship remorse or fuck remorse, that you can just go out and ruin somebody's life. A lot of the stuff that's going on here, if this guy had not been getting the proper consent for it, he would already be in jail. And if some of this stuff had come out and and these women said that they didn't sign up for these things like the bondage and the blood drinking. <laughs> and, you know, some of the things that he was doing to him was a movie in itself. Like, come on, why was he not Christian Grey? This could have just been a um, biography, for real. But this, and, and then to look at him, with all the things that I Googled today, I would fuck this guy today. He is beautiful. <laughs> he is gorgeous. He is all glass of you who. And is that why they said yes? He is 6'5, very, very handsome. Hallelujah. And there is probably a lot of things he could convince me to do. Thank but he you. cannot he cannot convince me to give him one of my fingers to barbecue. <laughs> No, absolutely not. But <laughs> if this guy was ugly, this would never have even gotten this far. The first time he asked to drink blood out of somebody's finger or barbecue a rib, the SWAT team would have swooped in that same night once the girl got in the Uber. <laughs> ugly dudes could never do this stuff to a woman. With the, I just need some advice. I, I, I don't engage in sex with women. So I really need to understand that if I'm laying in bed next to somebody and I, as, a, as a man, if I am laying in bed next to someone and I decide that I am so comfortable with you that I tell you, you know what really would be hot? If I could pluck one of them ribs out, <clears throat> you know, pluck one, give me that 11th rib and then lather some barbecue sauce on it, throw it on a throw it on a grill for about two or three minutes and then eat it. And if the girl don't say, that's some weird shit. If she just says to herself, that's a little odd, but you know what? I could get past that. Then what is, what is the guy supposed to think? He, I would obviously think that he would think you okay with it. You didn't say you weren't. I agree with you. You 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 have to be your own advocate. You have to be the person that cares about you most. You have to be the person that speaks up for you. Somebody got to do that. Somebody has to advocate for you. Somebody has to love you. Somebody has to look out for your best interest and it might as well be you. 
And if you didn't say anything and this dude didn't break the law, that's on you. Like, he didn't chase you around with a gun and try to get the rib, you know, in a violent (laughs) way. He just, he just dirty. And I'm sure in the moment, if a man had been like, ooh, girl, I want to pluck out your rib, I would have been like, (laughs) you're nasty. You want to make me a big rib? (laughs) Especially if he was 6'5 and he looked like that. Because he looked like Superman, uh, younger brother right now. And he got a whole wife right now that's letting him drink blood and bite toenails and everything. Okay, so I think we both agree that while the kink is not for us, we're not judging the kink. We also agree that if that we should have agency and we should be able to tell uh, an individual if we're not into something, uh, we should be able to be our own advocates. But what if someone says, well, I didn't feel like I could say anything. I felt like I had to go along with it. Um, I felt like I had to just do what I had to do to get out of the situation and because that's what I felt like I had to do in the moment. So the guy is thinking you're doing what you what I asked you to do. Meanwhile, you're thinking I'm doing what I feel like I have to do to get out of this situation. That is so sad. It makes me feel so sad to know that there are people who are so afraid. Of, of, of advocating for themselves and speaking up for themselves or so triggered by something that has happened in the past that they would stay in a situation like that. I don't know what kind of woman Kathy Walker raised, but if I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to start crying. I'm going to speak up for myself. I'm going to try to leave. And God help you if I try to do any of those things and you try to stop me. I just, I don't understand why you can't say something. Even if you start out by saying it as a joke and they don't get the joke, then you can be like, no, honey, I was serious. And you can start the dialogue some way, I would hope. If you're that afraid of a man or what that man might do to you, don't go over there no more. So if you're in situations, though, like where you have to be in the presence of this person uh, or the particular person who has made you uncomfortable, how do you deal with that? How do you manage that when, you, when you're in a constant situation where you don't have the power to make a different choice? Or I take that back. You have the power to make a different choice, but it, there may be a consequence and the consequence may not necessarily be on the, per, on the perpetrator because that, that, that's a thing. That is a totally valid circumstance. It's totally valid. It's valid for women in high places and it's valid for women in Hollywood. Because if you make a stink about working with this person or working near this person, if that person has the leverage over you, then you're the one that won't have a job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in lots of corporate places, you know, these guys are vested in the company or the company has invested a lot of money into him. And, you know, you or you've seen, you know, women get gone because they tried, you know, to speak up for themselves and it didn't work out in the work. Those situations are really prevalent and really tragic. And I don't have the answer for that because I'm 42. I've been working since I was 15. Um, you can you can bet your sweet ass that I have been sexually harassed and, you know, and, and all sorts of things because I was a chef. 
for 10 years. So I've, I've, I've seen some things and I've had some things done to me. And I am, a, I am an assault survivor of somebody in my workplace and I'm not a millionaire. So guess who didn't speak up the first time? Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't tell women what to do. I can only go from my perspective. And I think that's what every human being should do. One size doesn't fit all in easy situations. So it doesn't apply to difficult situations like this. I can tell you the time that I was sexually harassed by a man in the workplace when I was 19, I didn't say anything. And he laughed at me because I shook like a leaf. That time happened and it went on. And the second time I worked at a company with this person, um, a woman a woman was brave and she spoke up and she reported him for sexual harassment and they tried to play her to the left. And I put my job on the line and I did get reprimanded, but I spoke up for her and I told, I told the company that we worked for at that time what he had done to me and my best friend. And I told them to believe her. So Mm. I haven't always made the right decision. And I've, you know, luckily have had opportunities for redemption. So I speak from a different place than a woman who is experiencing this in the moment or for the first time. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And where do you see men going forward? Because a lot of men are are what I hear from most straight men is, oh, see, now we got to be worried about what this and worried about that. And and, I, and it just makes me think, well, yeah, women have been worried about how their behavior will be perceived sexually since we came out of the cave. I mean, <laughs> since right. we stepped out of the cave and went on a journey. Right. If I pick these berries, he might hit me with a club and drag me to his house. Right. So, I mean, women who wore short sleeves or women who wore a skirt and that showed their ankles, was that going to be perceived as they're too fast? Or, I mean, even women who had, there's still women in countries, if they decide to have sex outside of marriage, who are, who are killed and bludgeoned to death for that. So the, so the idea that, oh, poor men, now men have to think twice about something that women have thought not only twice, but three times and four times every single time they step out of the house. Is this shirt too low cut? I don't want to draw the wrong attention. I don't want to do this. And so I just can't get down with with men thinking, oh, now all of a sudden I've got to be careful. No, you always should have been careful. Right. You should have been considerate the whole time. You should have been careful the whole time. You should have asked for consent the whole time. When somebody asks you to stop, you should have stopped the whole time. If somebody didn't laugh at your joke, you shouldn't have targeted them in the workplace. Like you should have been behaving better the whole time. And this, I, <clears throat> I also heard them saying something about how, uh, and, and I don't have this experience, but um, having having sex with women who are drunk and then the woman the next day having regrets and saying that she was assaulted and how, but I was like, I, who are these people? Because while my mom and I never really had discussions about, you know, when to have a sex with, with women and when not to, 
kind of my common sense was you don't have you, you don't screw no drunk girl. You just don't do that. Like, it's not cute. And so I I was like, these lessons should have been taught to you by your parents. If you didn't learn this from your parents, that you don't go take no drunk girl and screw her. Uh, if you didn't learn that, then that's on you. That's not on her. No, CNN need to show up at your mama house and ask her why you like this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't understand it. Why would you want to have sex with a girl who was, you know, who had vomit on her breath or who was passing out or passed out? That doesn't seem desirable to me. And I bless God that it has never happened to me um, in, in, in a way like that. But I just, I don't understand why you think that that's your opportunity. You, I want to be wanted. I don't want you to be impaired. I want you to want me. And I would hope that that would be the reciprocity that you would show to me. It's also really difficult not to ask these women why they're like they are, because it isn't wise to go out and get wasted to where you can't function or you can't get home. It isn't wise to go out for, with somebody that you barely know and put yourself in a vulnerable situation like this. Everybody knows somebody that's been sexually assaulted. And everybody knows somebody who wasn't dressed in a way that deserved it. They, it just happened to them. And I feel like a part of adult behavior should be, mini, should be mitigating risk. I'm not saying that you gotta wear a turtleneck everywhere you go because a creep gonna be a creep. But situations that are within your control, like the amount that you drink, or the amount of drugs that you take or the combination of things that you do for the evening that might put you in a situation to be unable to consent or defend yourself, those things are within your control. But the things that are not in your control, you know, creeps gonna creep, dudes are gonna try to take advantage of a situation. All sorts of things are outside of our control, but I feel like the very few things that are within our control are, are also a responsibility. Absolutely. I mean, wait, one more thing, one more thing. I feel like the slippery slope of this, of, of this conversation is also that it doesn't matter what you do. And that's why I say, uh, uh, you know, creeps are going to creep because you, you should be able to wear whatever you want. You should be able to go out and have a good time. You should be able to be uninhibited sometimes without somebody assaulting you or hurting you or something like that but we also have a responsibility like I said to mitigate risk if you want to get wasted have a slumber party at your house you know have a designated driver have a friend that won't drink do something in groups do do whatever you can to mitigate the risks that you take I got to watch the results of my relationship with my son and the things that I taught him because he was the risk manager of his frat and any guy that would have to have a girl tell him no twice or who would seem like they were being too handsy or any appropriate behavior, my son did not play. He believed all women. He took care of those women like he would have taken care of me. And he didn't let any and he didn't let anything happen to anyone. And if something did happen, he was the main person who was in a per, in a place of leadership to say, "Hey, we shouldn't tolerate this, and this person needs to go because 
if they're allowed to stay, not only will the girls be uncomfortable, but I will be uncomfortable. And I was so proud of him for being that person. And I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the second, the second and the third, the same things. So I'm hoping that I'm going to get the same result the second and the third time. Well, I don't think there's anything left more to say. I can't <laughs> top that. That, that, that is a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back with your questions. Stay tuned. And welcome back, everyone. We certainly hope you guys enjoyed our current events section, but this part is to answer your questions. If you have a question for Taylor and I to answer, you can send us an email at podcastnomercy at gmail.com. That's podcastnomercy at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'll try and get to your question and answer it in the best ratchet way that we can. But we have a guest today, and it's Audrey, and she's going to actually help me answer tonight's question. So, are you ready for this? <laughs> so, this question is from Jessica. And Jessica says, I am a 36-year-old woman, obviously, and I have worked full-time in sales for the last 10 years. Because of the COVID pandemic, the economy has taken a nosedive, but I am very fortunate because I am in upper management and I have not been laid off. Kudos to you, girl, because everybody can't say that. I can't say the same for some of my other colleagues. Uh Uh-oh. My duties throughout the course of the pandemic have actually increased because the task that the employees who were laid off did still need to get done. My supervisor has shifted the work onto the people who have not been laid off. Meanwhile, I had to take a 15% pay cut in 2020, despite working longer hours and having more responsibilities. I try my hardest not to complain because I could be in the unemployment line. I wouldn't be honest if I said that these working conditions have not begun to take its toll. We found out that sales are starting to pick up slightly during our last board meeting. The CEO of the company said that we can start the process of rehiring back the people that the company laid off, but they would have to come back at, a six, at 60% of their salary. We are ne- <laughs> I know, right? We are nearly back to pre-COVID sales, and there is no reason to bring back employees with a 40% pay cut. The CEO also said the good news in this, I guess this is a quote because she put it in quotes. The good news is they won't be able to find a job anywhere else. So they'll take whatever we give them, end quote. Baby. I, was, I was in complete shock when I heard this. I want to tell my coworkers what went down in the board meeting, but I can't afford to lose my job. At the same time, I am riddled with guilt at the thought of my boss taking advantage of my colleagues' desperation. So my question is, do I tell them? Do I just keep quiet? Do I approach the CEO and tell him I was very uncomfortable with his statements at the board meeting? If I stay, and if I do decide to just stay quiet, how do I deal with the guilt of knowing what the higher-ups are saying behind their backs? Hope you can help. Thank you, Jessica. Ooh, child. That's a lot. That's one of our longer questions. I will actually, I will let you answer this because it's not easy (laughs) answering people's (laughs) questions. Because while we, uh, while we frequently say on this show, please don't take our advice. We are not certified, you know, HR. We're not certified in psychiatry, psychology, mental health, or anything else. But we try and at least 
give people some good sound advice. So what do you think? Should she say something or should she just keep quiet and keep it moving? First of all, everything that you just said. (laughs) Don't hold disclaimer. However, I feel... I feel in such a way that not only can I empathize with what she may be feeling, but I can experience it. I have experienced it firsthand, you know, with my current career situation. Um, last, last February, we had to take a 30% pay cut to keep our job. And, you know, I took the pay cut because I needed my money. I have 27 years left on my mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) And so I get where she's coming from about how she's grateful to still have a job. Also with the people who got, you know, let go with my job, my work increased and my, and as you know, the 30% pay cut meant that my pay decreased in this January. I did not get a raise, but I got back to my original salary. So, you know, I, I feel, I feel her on that part. Definitely the, the increase in responsibility is tiresome, but I think that part of it goes back to consent, the right to work. And the, the decision to terminate is a two-sided street. You can make that decision as can your employer and you consent to these, to these working conditions for whatever reason that your conscience may tell you, but you're still consenting. You could always say no. You could always say no more. You know, you could always find yourself other employment. Nobody is, is forcing you to be there. Um, as far as that part of it goes, you, you know, you are dealing with the devil that you know so that you don't have to deal with all of the other alternatives. And I don't think that there's a reason to complain or an opportunity to really complain. I think you can vent all day long, but the opportunity to complain and seem ungrateful is not there because you're choosing to be there. Because like you said, you know, you, 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 you could be unemployed or you could be in any other situation or you could be in retail. So there's that. But the second part is a little bit more difficult because she said that she's in upper management. And I don't know about her. I'm not even in upper management. I'm a junior. Um, I'm a junior executive. And I signed that same confidentiality agreement. So if you go out here running your mouth about something that you heard in a board meeting, you're going to violate the corporate veil you know, of your company and you're going to bet and you're going to invalidate your confidentiality, you know, policy or promise, I'm sorry, confidentiality promise. And you're going to find yourself without that job that you've been holding on to with the minimum of who you are. I mean, you can't, you can't do that because whether you sacrifice yourself in this situation to let people know what the real deal is or what the circumstance is, they're still going to do that to those people. And you can either decide to continue to align yourself with a company with those values, or you can do something different. Does that make sense? I mean, that makes total sense. 
What you basically said is the truth. I mean, this it's not really even speculation. You're not speculating on, on what what's possible. You speculate you're you're basically stating the truth. How bad do you need your job? If you need your job, you can't say nothing. <laughs> That's your, your Unless you're willing to accept whatever consequences come your way, if right. you decide you fall to fall on the sword for these people, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna fall on the sword for them, then do your thing. Do what you need to do. Right. But I think it's while it is unfair, we're not talking about what's fair. You asked us what we think you should do. What we think you should do is make the determination on whether or not you can afford to lose your job. If you can afford to lose your job then follow your conscience. If you can't afford to lose your job and you need your job, like yeah, most of us do, policies. exactly. Because I would not be able to say anything. I'm not in a position. Sally Mae wants her student loan check every single month. And right. I, I am not in a position to be able to lose my job because, you know, because of some unethical things that went down in a boardroom. Um, I mean, right. But what you the situation that you're in frequently, particularly when you're a person of color, we go through this all the time. When you when you ascend up the ladder, most of the time you're doing that as the only person in the room, the only person at the table Mm -hmm. where you hear some really crazy things. Right. And you have to make those decisions all the time. Is this the day I'm going to lose my job? Or is this, or do I just <laughs> keep my head down? <laughs> and keep my, my pen head. on this paper. Right. So. Don't you, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, don't you think that for us as, 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 as Black people who have quote unquote made it, that it seems to be a little bit of a, survival's, a survivor's remorse situation? Like. I I would feel like garbage if, you know, some of my employees came back at 60% of their pay and I couldn't say nothing. But I would keep my mouth shut because they consented to that, like, to that, you know, that, that, you know, sacrificing pay. Just like I said, I, I consented to the sacrifice of my reduction in pay. I mean, people make the decisions to do what's best for them all the time and it's not always your place to open up your mouth just because you think you have the pertinent information you may have heard that in the boardroom and someone on down the line in human resources Mm -hmm. can say oh no I'm not doing that that seems unethical you can't just you can't just say that to them what you can do instead is be honest with them be like hey Welcome back. We're not going to be able to have you back at the salary that you are accustomed to. We were actually going to tell you that we can only afford to pay you 60% of what you used to make. And that person can make the decision for themselves right then and there without your without your influence or without your opening your mouth. It's it's not your place. It feels like it could be your place. But everyone who puts themselves in the situation to be a savior isn't one. You may just be sacrificing yourself for nothing mm-hmm. because you weren't privy to all of the information that brought you to make your decision that the other people were privy to that helped them to come to their decision. Does that make sense? That their, their, their decision may very well likely be informed 
based on their circumstances and what was said to them, but your decision may not be as informed because all you have is that initial conversation that you think meant something to you. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? No, it makes total sense. I think the only, I think probably where she is struggling, because it's probably where I would struggle too, is that you know, as at a board meeting, when you're in upper management, if you're if you know, based on, you know, fourth quarter sales data, that you guys are basically pretty much back to where you were. And, and you can afford to hire these people back without cutting their salaries, but you just not because you want to pocket some change at other people's expense. I think it I would I can kind of see the dilemma that she's in because she's like, I know y'all can hire these people back and y'all just stiffen them because y'all think they they just going they just going to take it because they desperate when we. So why do that to people? And I just say, you know, you just got to do whatever makes you sleep well at night. And if if it's to the point that you can't sleep well at night. And I guess that's part of her question is, if I stay quiet, how do I deal with the guilt of knowing what the higher ups are doing? That was part of her question. I say, go yeah, get a therapist. The next go part, get a therapist. I, <laughs> <laughs> I say, go find a therapist to deal with that. If, if you truly have, are, if you are truly having a, a large amount of guilt, um, because if you're the type of, you know, if you're the type of leader in your company that um, doesn't see themselves as as above your coworkers, even though you may be supervising them, um, if right. you, you know, if you have personal relationships with them, if you have, you know, even very close professional relationships with them, and you know something that they don't know, or you know that they're being taken advantage of, that I mean, that is a hard thing to go home uh, and swallow. So I would say you. You, you just need to go in and find a therapist or a counselor to go and talk to to try and work through those feelings um, because there's no you're, you're not going to talk yourself out of it if those right. I mean, your feelings are your feelings. And right. Um, and they're valid. Right. Totally valid in this case. So, well, I hope that was helpful, Jessica. I, I, I really do. Uh, send us a follow up email once you decide what you're going to do. But totally if it were me. Do. If it were me, I would say, keep your mouth closed. Sounds like you need your job. So if you need your job, just keep your mouth closed. Keep it pushing. If you really don't need your job, then I guess you can say something and take the consequences. Or you... Girl, look at the big picture. Get the vacation. <laughs> you can't start over from scratch somewhere else. <laughs> Or, I mean, or you can say, you know what, this is not the kind you can do. You can have some ethical responsibility and say, you know what, this is not a company I want to work for and start looking for a new job. Yeah. That, that's an option, too. You can say, yeah. I want I want to work for a company and, you know, donate my talents and skills to a company that, you know, that doesn't behave this way, you know, behind behind uh, behind the backs of its employees. And so that there's that option as well. But it sounds like in this pandemic, if it were me. Keep your mouth closed. Keep it moving. Go to work. Collect your check. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jessica, for that question. Mm-hmm. We were not going to answer a second question this week. We're going to get on to our next segment. But if you do have a question, make sure you drop us an email, podcastnomercy at gmail.com. That's podcastnomercy at gmail.com. We look forward to reading all your questions and answering them uh, in the most ratchet way possible. Stay tuned for No Mercy. <laughs>
Welcome back. I, I really did like that segment. Did you like that segment, Audrey? Yes, I did. It made me think. It made me think, too. I was like, hmm, I feel like I have been in this situation before. Uh, maybe not quite to that extent, but it certainly have been in situations where I've had to make decisions and just keep it moving. So I guess I gave her advice based on what I would do. But I, that was a really, same. really good question. Totally the same. It was a good question. So now it's time for No Mercy. And No Mercy, you know, for everyone who is new to the channel and new to the podcast, it's basically where we have an unfiltered rant about whatever is bothering us. And what has been bothering me, what has been on my spirit for the last week is I was listening to uh, two somewhat educated white guys. I would say that they're pretty well educated having this discussion mm -hmm. about what it meant uh, mm -hmm. for all of the social media platforms to mm -hmm. basically bar Trump from mm -hmm. using their platforms to communicate, you know, to his followers and how this is a slippery slope and what does this mean for big tech and does big tech have too much power? And so I, I listened to them have this discussion, uh, long form discussion, maybe like 30 minutes. Then I read some articles about it and I was just like, is it me? Or am, I don't have a problem with what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, all these other social media networks, I don't have an issue with what they did with uh, President Orange Face. I really don't. Like, do you, sign, you sign a terms of service when you decide to open up an account. There is this long scroll through that you have to go through. Most of us don't read it, but we just click OK. <laughs> and you agree to a terms of service when you open an account on this platform, if you don't follow the terms of service, they have every right to kick you off. And quite frankly, he got away with a lot more than what people I know. I personally know people who have been put in Facebook jail, you know, for a week. <laughs> I know people who have been put in Twitter jail for 48 hours for some of the things that they have said. And they haven't been nearly as inflammatory as what the former president did. And so this is not a slippery slope. This is about you, you know, doing what you were supposed, you know, how they tell you everybody, uh, everything you learned about life, you should have learned in kindergarten. Like, don't right. be a butthead right. on Twitter. <laughs> it's really that easy. You can use our turn. You can use our platform as long as you don't incite a riot, as long as, as you long don't. As long as you behave. Exactly. So I don't find this to be a slippery slope. And at any point in time, if he wanted to go and have a presidential briefing in that uh, conference room, every news network would have carried that briefing live because right. he was he the president. Whatever he wanted to say. He could have went on that stage and pulled out his little pecker and gave everybody a golden shower. They probably would have covered it live. So... I don't I don't see that just because he has lost his rights to tweet inflammatory things that all of a sudden we have to grapple with the country how much you know power and influence big tech has over our lives. We may have to have that conversation, but we certainly don't have to have it because of Donald Trump. I'm gonna Donald stop Trump. You when you start lying. 
<laughs> that is not a conversation we have to have because of Donald Trump. So I just don't, I really don't understand. And I'm part of me, and I hate to bring this back to race because, you know, every, but in my mind, everything is about race. It's like when white men have to face consequences, then we have to start interrogating systems. And before, as long as white people can do, or white men in particular, can do whatever they want with whatever they've been given, then everything is fine. But when there starts to be consequence, then, oh, we need to have a critical reflection on, you know, just the, just how much power Facebook has, you know, on our public discourse. No, we been needed to have that discussion. And, you know, that that's probably, Facebook probably does have a little bit too much power and influence. But that was a discussion that we needed to have long before Donald Trump got, got uh, his profile denied. What do you think? I agree 100% with everything that you said. Whether you read those terms and conditions or not, the basis of them are you can be here as long as you behave. And as a person who is a frequent, as a frequent member of, you know, the Facebook jail community. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. You weren't the one I was talking about. I didn't know that. Oh, no. (laughs) I go to Facebook jail all the time. Uh, At this point, I think that they're trying to work with me because a couple of times I get this screen that says, are you sure you would like to post this? It seems like it might violate our terms and policies <laughs> as it pertains to bullying. And I'm just like, maybe I won't call her a bitch. Maybe I'll just be like, <laughs> you know, like one time I got, I got a 30 day Facebook ban. Oh, that's um, long. Yeah, it was a long time. And you didn't see me for a while. Because they even banned my uh, my alternate Facebook page, but I got a thirty day ban for telling a woman that I hope she got VD, uh, BV bacterial vaginosis. I just put on there, I hope you get BV, and I got a thirty day ban for that. But she said something racist, and she didn't get a ban. So I, I feel you on on everything that you've said. I mean, you you make a de- you make a decision to be here and to do whatever it is that they say. This isn't a government entity, and free speech doesn't apply in a private company. You know, you even though the membership was free, you decided to become a member of this private company, this private corporation. So you have to do what they say, or you're no longer going to be a member. Well, I really do need to, then we need to interrogate this because if I have not been in Facebook jail, uh, but since you have, do you have feelings about Facebook telling you uh, or maybe um, enforcing their terms of agreement or their terms and policies unequally? I feel like there is a problem where they enforce these rules unequally because I've been black for 42 years. I've been on Facebook for nine and somebody calls me the N word mm, once or twice a week or somebody says something about how I look like a monkey or, or some other, or some other racial stereotype that they think I haven't heard before. So it's going to hurt my feelings, you know, or, you know, just anything that is obviously race baited. Those things are allowed to exist under the guise of free speech. But if you say I look like a monkey or I'm unevolved and I call you a bitch, I got to be off Facebook for a week. 
And I have reported these people. I have reported these instances and Facebook will get back to me in 30 seconds and they'll go, this doesn't appear to have violated our terms of or conditions or community standards. Thanks. Bye. But that same person can report me for calling them a bitch. And there I go with seven days where I can't post pictures because I'm cute. <laughs> so in terms of Parler losing its platform, um, what are your thoughts on these big internet companies that ha- that can basically determine whether or not we have access to even access to business, access to business creation. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I have thoughts about Parler and, and Amazon dropping their platform, um, but I want to know what you thought about it first. I think that those people are in the same situation that we, the Facebook user, is in. I think that when you want to use a company's product or you want to be a member of the community that that company puts out there, whether it's from a marketing perspective or a, or a web hosting perspective or a sponsorship perspective, you have to follow their terms and conditions. You can't make them look bad. And, you know, you can't, do things that are unethical. It doesn't matter if you're on the Wheaties box or you're on Amazon trying to host Parler. You have to follow the terms and conditions and the expectations of that entity that they set forth that you agreed to because here you are. Right. No, I completely agree with you. I couldn't agree more. If if Parler is using Amazon to host their platform I'm sure Parler signed a terms of condition agreement with Amazon, just like the Parler users. I'm sure they signed. They, I'm sure they clicked OK to agree with something. And right. from what I've been reading is that Amazon actually dropped Parler, not because they necessarily didn't like Parler. They dropped Parler because Parler was not enforcing its terms with its users. Exactly. So, yeah, so Parler has Parler has a p- policies in terms of agreement that they, you know, make all of their users sign. And Amazon was like, "Look, your users are not actually following your policies and if you want to remain on our platform, you at least have to, you know, do better of enforcing the policies that you make right. your you users have to sign." Your contract. Exactly. You have to do what you say you're going to do. You have to do the thing that you said that you were here for. And if you can't do that, we don't understand why you even want to be here. So, yeah, I, I just don't understand why why these arguments are being conflated. This is not about a slippery slope and big tech taking over. This is about two companies where one was in violation of the contract because Amazon has no problems with their other platforms, or if they do, you know, it's not getting media attention. But it, this is not about Amazon dictating to Parler what they can and cannot do. This is about right. Parler and Amazon coming to an agreement. Parler signed that if they didn't want, if they did not want to abide by the agreement, like this is getting back to Jessica. <laughs> If they didn't want to abide by the contract that they signed with Amazon, then they sh- they, they should go with another you know web hosting company if they did if they didn't feel as though those the, the terms of the agreement were fair. I agree. So that's my rant, and we can certainly <laughs> have conversations. We need him. 
Let me tell you. Oh, he 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 uh, didn't he um, resign or step down or retire or whatever. Yeah, but he still made a way for me to get a box of Cheez-Its in two hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was inappropriate. Oh my god, what a regular with flavor. <laughs> Just regular. Because I love a good pepper jack cheese. It. Oh my goodness. Before I became gluten free, shout out to the Crohn's and Colitis community. That was my favorite snack. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. It does aggravate my <laughs> IBS. But uh, I just I just make a way for it. I make a way. I plan ahead. And you plan ahead <laughs> to where you know you can lay down and stay near the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you coming in, guest hosting with me. This has been a blast. It has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an amazing few hours. So for everyone listening, hope you guys loved uh, Audrey's input on this uh, week's episode of No Mercy. If you enjoy listening to us, please go to wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and click that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating and, and leave a review. If you like what you hear, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. We certainly take your uh, feedback into consideration when we're formulating our outlines for future podcast so it's been great thanks audrey again hopefully taylor will be back (laughs) next week and take care bye-bye bye-bye